episode of clean leather baseball podcast today the the podcast you always wanted and never knew you needed until just recently we are here with savannah bananas owner fans first entertainment uh president ceo jesse cole um welcome welcome to uh to the show and 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 thank you for taking some time this morning to to sit with us mike excited to be with this morning my friend absolutely so i guess first of all um you know You've had the bananas for six years, Savannah Bananas team in the in the Coastal Plains League, a uh, summer baseball college league, which anybody watching this is, knows full well what that's all about from uh, from our Trenton Generals. Um, tell us, uh, give us the, uh, the the brief story on on how the bananas got to the uh, the cultural phenomenon that that we are today. Um, you know, the the uh, selling out every game, um, just a crazy story. Uh, how did we get to here? And I, and I know it's probably something that we could take an hour to talk about, but <laughs> a long list of failures, learnings, discoveries along the way, 15 year journey. So everyone looks at the last six years of the bananas, but you know, I actually started as a 23 year old in Gastonia, North Carolina, uh, a GM of a team that's not even in existence anymore, the Gastonia Grizzlies. And so that's where it started for me. And, uh, you know, like anyone in college summer baseball, uh, I think it's very, people are very familiar with, uh, it's, it's an uphill, uphill battle to try to get people excited about college summer baseball. And, you know, with Gastonia, we had 200 fans coming to the games, $268 in the bank account my first day. And so for, for 10 years, I, I sharpened my ax and, and I learned and I learned and I learned and, you know, how to realize that we were more than just baseball. He had to make it about entertainment. So, you know, we, you know, I learned everything from P.T. Barnum and Walt Disney and Bill Veck. I got three custom posters here in my office and started learning about making it about a show, entertainment. So, yeah, we started having our players do choreographed dances. Uh, we literally had grandma beauty pageants back with that team with the Gastonia Grizzlies and fans started coming. And so uh, we looked to that next challenge, my wife and I, in, in 2014, we heard of Savannah and that they had professional baseball for 90 years, but they were leaving because they couldn't get any support. So we said, might as well take on Perfect. a new challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're used to that. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so long story short, we went to uh, Savannah and uh, proceeded to fail pretty miserably. Uh, we showed up that first day, myself, my wife, our 24-year-old president and three 22-year-olds right out of college. Uh, amazing crew to launch a team and uh, a former team cut the phone lines, cut the internet lines, took everything out of the stadium. And we grabbed a picnic table from outside the park, brought it into an abandoned storage building, started using our cell phones and calling everyone and saying, we're here. And the community just said, we could care less. Like, <laughs> who are you guys? Your college summer baseball. We had pro baseball. And so we sold two tickets in our first three months. And by January of 2016, we'd overdrafted our account. We're completely out of money. And uh, I remember my wife turning to me vividly. I was actually in New Jersey. We were at my uh, best friend's wedding in Tom's River. And uh, she turned to me and said, uh, Jesse, we have to sell our house. We have no other options. So we sold our dream house, emptied out our savings account, and we're sleeping on an airbed for six months trying to make ends meet with Savannah. So we had dramatically changed who we are, what we stand for, and our value proposition and start focusing on creating fans and not being like everyone else. And that's what we started doing. And we were hated. We were criticized. We were ripped apart, the name, everything. But now, yes, we've sold out every game, have a wait list, uh, over 12,000 now for tickets. And uh, now we're taking the show all over the world in a national tour, which is really exciting. Yep. And I do want to talk about that because I, I would see if there's some way to, to bring you guys to uh, to this area um, and how and how we would go about doing that. 
Um, but but to start out, you know, going back before that, you had really the the traditional baseball background, right? A father owned a facility up in in Massachusetts. Yeah. Outstanding uh, two way, right? You two way uh, pitcher and hitter. Outstanding, out, outstanding is very kind. You know, I, you, I was I was pretty good in high school, college. I didn't perform as well as I should, but yes, still, yes. I, you know, we say anybody who's who's going to D one to play baseball qualifies as outstanding. Wofford yeah. College, great school, um, down in the area where you are now, down in South Carolina, and uh, got hurt, right? Blew out your shoulder, yeah. and and you know, I guess lesson number one is how to take this career seemingly horrible disappointment, and, and obviously it was at the time, and, and be able to turn that into your, your masterpiece. But I guess my other, my question would be, you know, nothing seemingly in your background would lead us to seven yellow tuxedos in the closet and we wear one every day. How did that transformation take place? Was it we need it for to get you know for business, or was there something always kind of growing on the inside that that kind of led us in here? Great, 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 great topic here. Yeah, I was a baseball guy through and through. My dad was a baseball guy. I, I grew up baseball, baseball, baseball. I was bat boy for the Red Sox when I was five years old. I got to pitch at Fenway when I was twenty. I mean, I was baseball through and through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, everything's perspective. So there's a difference when you're playing baseball and you get to go to the, you know, field in the area. I was a two-way guy. So I got to do all the best things. I got to take BP. I got to be in the lineup and I got to pitch. I didn't have to go through all the other stuff. You I didn't have to worry about sad. defense. Yeah. I got to have fun. And so it was great. But when I tore my shoulder and I remember I, um, I got Dr. Andrews to do my surgery, but I still couldn't come back. And I pitched that final game against number two ranked, uh, university of South Carolina Gamecocks. I walked off the mound after the second inning. And my coach gave me a hug and I knew that was the last time I would ever pitch and play. And my whole arm was bruised because of the referral. Cause I had three tears in my shoulder and no one knew. I knew my coach knew. And that was it. I walked off the field. And I remember as I coached in the Cape Cod league that summer, and this was a game I loved. And I sat in the dugout, you know, next to Josh Harrison and uh, you know, Garrett Richards and Josh mm -hmm. Lindblom and uh, Reese Havens and just so many, like the whole team was pro guys. And I sat in the best seat in the house with the best players in the country. And I was bored out of my mind. I realized when you played, you can control the game. I'm a pitcher. You know, I control what I'm going to pitch. I'm controlling it. When I come up to the bat, I can make, you know, impact on the game. As a coach, especially as a low-level coach, you couldn't. And I realized that I wasn't having fun. And so at that point, I said, well, if I'm in the best seat in the house and I'm not having fun, there's probably an opportunity to make the game more fun for more people and more fans. And so I took that opportunity as a GM to say, you know what, I'm with you. The game is long. It is slow. It is boring to many people. And so I realized I put myself in the fan shoes and our potential customer shoes and said, I need to make it different. And so, yes, as I'm in a yellow tuxedo now, as I'm always in yellow tuxedos, I realized that from PT Barnum, you need to first create attention. You first need to promote about what you're about and what you stand for. This is fun. Baseball needs to be more fun. Owners don't dress like this. They sit in the corporate corporate suite. They watch the games. They're very, they're on a legal background, maybe. They're very into this corporate world of the game. I'm here for the fans and I'm here for fun. So I changed my perspective and I was forced to. If I focused just on baseball, we'd be like every other team in the country and we'd be out of business or very running very, very poorly. And, uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way, not every team, but it's very hard to be successful if you're like everyone else. So I do have to ask, because I was always under the assumption that yellow tux, Savannah bananas, bananas, yellow, there was some sort of connection there, but that came in before that, right? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. I, well, at first, P.T. Barnum. So I was dressed like everyone else. I wore a polo. I wore pants. I'd go on the field. I'd run the show. And then I was like, this isn't what I'm doing. I'm pieing fans that were dancing, we're singing, we're having fun. So I was like, I channeled my inner P.T. Barnum. And I uh, called my buddy who had a Brinal Formal shop. And I said, I need a P.T. Barnum-like suit. And he's like, all right, I got one with tails. And I got a big top hat. And he sends it to me, and it's all black. And that first game in North Carolina was 101 degrees. Oh. I almost melted. I was like, this ain't going to work in the black and the heat. So I searched online. The Grizzlies, our former team, had some yellow. They were actually black and gold. So I found a yellow tuxedo, brightcoloredtuxedos.com overnight. It wore it and it stuck. Everyone took pictures. And, you know, again, it was, uh, you know, I was willing to get uncomfortable. And I think the lesson there is um, players, coaches, anyone else, um, it's very easy to try to fit in, you know, just kind of follow the lead of everyone else. But to do something that is, really out of the box and uncomfortable, you're going to be misunderstood. People are going to think like people that don't know me, he's like, oh, he's just an attention hog. He's all about this. I'm like, no, it's to try to get you into the core of who we are and what we stand. And it's for me as the owner of a team to give permission to everyone we work with to have fun, our players, our coaches, our staff. If I'm dressed like this and dancing and singing, everyone else can. And so that's the reason for it. And so I think uh, getting out of the box and uncomfortable was huge for me and wearing this in front of everybody and just say, hey, this is who I am. Sure. Now, now you, these are these are lessons and, and I think things that that really kind of have resonated with people beyond just, all right, it's a baseball team, right? It's a baseball game. It's, you know, obviously you don't have that sort of and I know you don't have that sort of attendance and success in college summer baseball unless there's something deeper resonating with people. Um, your book, right, Find Your Yellow Tux, um, goes into to more of this and, and, you know, how to be successful by standing out. Um, one of the things that really captivated me was um, creating attention versus marketing. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you give us an example of, you know, kind of both? I mean, obviously the, the attention I think is kind of, well, let's uh, talk about where we failed. This is good. So we marketed like everyone else for six months when we came to Savannah, we had yep. social media, we had, uh, you know, newspaper ads, radio ads, they were all the same. Hey, the new baseball teams in town. Hey, we're going to have fun. We're going to, that is unremarkable. Attention is remarkable. So if you think about an attention plan, how do you create attention? Think like a reporter. So if you're a reporter, why should they cover you? If you're a baseball team, what makes you different? It's the hardest question I've asked every single business owner. And often they say, well, we're a little bit better. Well, is a little bit better, different. What makes you different? Let's be specific. So for instance, for us, in every single thing that we do, we look at whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. So you want to talk about attention, all right? Attention. Most players play. Our players do choreographed dances. Most coaches coach. We have break dancing coaches. Yes. All right. Uh, most teams uh, in baseball, there's no such thing as a pep band. We have a full pep band that's at our baseball game. Uh, most teams might have, uh, uh, especially in basketball, they have young dance uh, cheerleaders. We have our banana nanas, our senior citizen dance team. Uh, and we take another one. We have our male cheerleading team, the man nanas. All right. Even when we think about how do we announce our tour, we brought in a yellow helicopter this past week and did our tour with a yellow helicopter and cryogenics and everything. You got to think differently to, to create that different types of attention. And so, you know, post games, what does every team do? Post game <laughs> highlights, you know, they write a, they write a recap. The yep. bananas win four to two. What do we do? 
We do shower interviews. We had our guy, literally our reporter in the shower getting like, you know, literally the shower pouring on him. We do uh, interviews in ice baths. We do interviews in bathroom stalls. We do interviews in the guy's beds where they come out of the car. You know, we mm-hmm. think whatever is normal, do it differently. Same thing with our pregame. And so when you reimagine that, that's how you come up with ideas saying, hmm, could we have a golf batter where a batter comes up to plate and comes up with a caddy and a caddy walks up with him <laughs> and hands him his bat and uses, you know, gives him his scorecard. You know, can you have a batter introduce himself coming to bat for the bananas myself? and throw the mic, or do you have a batter introduced the normal way? When you start doing that, you create unbelievable attention because people want to, right now, people are getting entertained faster and more than they ever have before. Entertainment is at your fingertips. We're in a TikTok world right now. We can get entertained like this. So if you're doing things like everyone else, and it's just like hoping to get attention, you're in trouble. You have to create those remarkable moments that would make people say, what did they just do? You wouldn't believe what the bananas did. You wouldn't believe what the trend in generals did last night. If you're not creating those, you wouldn't believe moments, those attention-worthy moments. It's going to be very hard to stand out, and, and your marketing just won't have the impact um, that, that we've been fortunate to be able to have. We had I, Our media crew told me yesterday we had 71 million views on our videos this past summer. So 71 million views. And so we went from 450,000 followers to 1.2 million followers. And right now we have two, 250,000 more followers than any major league baseball team on TikTok. Right. And I, I, it's, I'm not saying it braggadocious. It's because we think of what are those attention-worthy moments that are on brand, that make baseball fun. That's who we are. Make baseball fun. We will scream it over and over again. If it's making baseball fun, we will show it. And that's kind of what guides us. The, the coolest thing for me is, is how, you know, from the, from the kind of business, bigger picture standpoint, is how everything that you guys do is, is on message and, and, and follows this fans first um, process. Tell us about, because you've created a great culture and, and a, a culture of younger staff members who, who want to keep coming back. Um, and it's not a long season that you have, but, but tell us about the, the creative process, how you've you know, created a, a culture where everybody on staff really has ownership for the product. And, uh, you know, I can't imagine that, that these are all your ideas. I mean, I can't imagine 2015, you're thinking, let's do a banana baby with uh, the, the Lion Kings, you know, how do these things come about? And, and, and then how do you decide which ones we make a reality? Well, there's a few points there. You, you mentioned about uh, young people and staying with us. Uh, right now, the stats, a millennial leaves a job every 13 months. Um, the average workforce in all ages is 2.2 years you stay with the job. Yeah. So it's a huge, huge challenge right now. And we failed. I mean, I, I will take 100% credit. The reason why Gastonia Grizzlies no longer exists is because I didn't build the team up enough to when we sold it to have enough leadership to keep the team going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've learned a lot in that sense. Now, when we look at Savannah, yeah, we have uh, a group of people that have been with her since, since first day. I mean, literally since day one, since the first season, they've seen every game and been there. So, um, and, and then you talk about empowerment. Um, empowerment's huge. It all starts with your vision and who you are and what you stand for. When you're very clear on where you're going and what you stand for, it's very easy to empower people to follow that. So what I mean by that, um, we make baseball fun. That's why we exist. And how we do it is fans first, entertain always. Every decision we ask is it fans first. When it's very clear then, we know that our team can refund at any point, can send you know uh, a onesie, a bananas onesie to someone that they just found out that they're having a baby. You know, there's no issues. When we saw during COVID, 
one of our, our team members saw that a woman wrote on Facebook, oh, I would do anything for our Oreo cookies and milk right now. He went out and drove to the grocery store, got Oreo cookies and milk, put it in her mailbox and sent her a message, check your mailbox. I'm so glad she was home because that milk would have gone bad and that would have smelled terrible. But uh, right. beside, beside the point, when you teach that, it makes it easy. You know, when we have um, tragedies and, and people that are recognizing our game, we've had a lot of moments where family members have died and they wanted to be, they came to a game and, you know, there's numerous stories I could share, but then they think, they put themselves in the fan's shoes and say, what can I do to create this moment that matters? And we talk about three M's, moments matter meaning. Create a moment that show people that they matter and that will provide deeper meaning, deeper purpose into everything you do. So it's just kind of a guideline. We keep it simple, fans first. Most teams, it's like in the off season, hey, bring in money, sell tickets, right. sell sponsorship. And the next year, sell more sell more how of course they're leaving well how is that inspirational what, what? Oh, oh i hope i hit my quota this year let's have a five percent gain and i'll make two thousand dollars more no let's make an impact when we have a family come up to me at a game this year and the father and the wife with three kids and the father said that was so much fun and i go oh thanks a lot did you come into town for the game you go yeah we drove 40 hours from utah for this game we're driving 40 hours back tomorrow and it was everything i hoped it would be when we hear that repeatedly, and every night anywhere between 20 and 34 states, people drive, fly in and drive in for our games, we have an obligation to deliver them experience they haven't had anywhere else. And that gives us purpose. And that's why our team wants to keep building and take the show all over the country. So it, it, it seems, I mean, obviously, you can see the, the, the three people, the three inspirations, the three posters you have, certainly you can see where that comes through. Um, you know, in, in, in Walt Disney and, and, and Bill Beck and, you know, obviously P.T. Barnum. Um, but it seems like there could be a fourth very easily in, in Simon Sinek. Mm -hmm. And I've heard you tell a, a story about, um, you know, that relates to him and, and, and a thank you note that you wrote to him. But, mm -hmm. but obviously that's something that just as clearly comes through. What impact has he had on your um, philosophies? Yeah, I remember it vividly. I was at a uh, conference uh, at Gaston College and uh, many years ago, and I, someone first shared the, the video, Start With Why, and how great leaders inspire action. And it was the middle, it was like literally like an hour into the session. It was a full day event, and I got up and left. I literally watched the video, got up and left, and went back to the office and watched it over and over and over again. And I just kept thinking, I was like, ah, you know, why do we do what we do? You know, it's fun. You know, we give away porta johns and colon cleansings and our players dance and we play in kilts. Like, but why do we do what we do? And then it started to come to me. And there's obviously some emotional moments I share in the book, um, um, some stories where I realized that, you know, our job is to bring people together, um, treat them like family and bring them joy that they've never seen before. And, and I've, I, I've kept feeling that over and over and over again. So when I started my thank you experiment in 2016, which I said, can I write one thank you letter every day? Simple experiment, but very hard, <laughs> right? One thank you letter every day. And when I thought about people that really inspired me, it was, it was Simon Sinek. So I sent him a letter. And as you know, uh, two weeks later, I'm driving to lunch and I get an unknown phone number on my phone. And this was back when you answered unknown phone numbers right. you know, six years ago. And uh, I go, hello, hello, this is Jesse. Jesse, it's Simon Sinek here. I go, shut up, who is it? He goes, it's Simon Sinek. I go, shut up, who's messing with me? And I told him to shut up twice. And I goes, he goes, no, I'm, I'm calling you to tell you I received your thank you letter and want to let you know how much it inspired me. He goes, the reason I do everything I do is to help people live inspired lives, but you inspired me. And uh, 
for a minute and 41 seconds, I talked to one of my other mentors. And, uh, and after that, he sent me other letters and there's been some communication. But yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it was clarity. You know, Mike, all we're looking for is clarity. And if we have clarity every morning and, and belief and passion and fire, it makes it easy. And Simon helped, helped trigger that in me. And I, I still have that thank you experiment going today, you know, six years later. Um, you, as, as owner, have, have early gotten in the habit of these are not games that, that you know, the Savannah Bananas play. They, they're putting on shows. And is that something that kind of drives how you approach everything internally where, you know, obviously it's, it's important for the, the guys to, to go play their, you know, games during the summer and, and get better. But you're really putting on a show for, for the fans. Yeah, language is important. I learned that from Walt Disney. You know, they're, yeah. they're, you know, they're the cast, you know, they're wearing costumes, you know, mm -hmm. everything's, everything language is so, so important. So for us, you can tell me this, Mike, if uh, Trenton loses 14, nothing. All right. And you ask a fan, did you enjoy the game? What are they going to say? Well, first of all, Trenton doesn't lose 14, nothing. That doesn't, we, we don't, that doesn't happen, but, but no, they would probably, the answer would be probably some four letter word and, and get out of my face and then I'm not coming back and sure. But if the bananas lost a game 14, nothing, which again, doesn't happen, but if we did right. and we would ask fans, did you enjoy the show? The answer would be yes. Mm -hmm. So when we, when they walk into our stadium, we say, welcome to the show. And they're greeted by the pep band and our players dancing and the man Anna's and our professional high fiver and our DJ who's rocking music all night long outside in the front plaza. And then we put on the show, we have parades and marches and weigh-ins before the game, like the UFC, which makes no sense. And we do all of this all night, which is a complete and utter show. We just happen to play baseball. What I learned from Walt Disney was control the controllables. And so Walt Disney, when he had um, his movies in theaters, it really bothered him when we'd go into a theater and it would be dark and sticky and gross. And it wasn't a good experience, even though they're about to watch Snow White, like in a magical animated film. So when he designed Disneyland, he goes, I'm going to control the controllables. And when every single theme park um, operator told him, you need to have numerous entrances to get in for flow of traffic so people can get in. He said, nope, I'm going to have one entrance. I'm going to control the opening shot and the closing shot, just like a movie. And you're going to come right through Main Street. You're going to smell the popcorn. You're going to see all the shops. And then you're going to see the castle. And when you leave the same thing, you're going to be greeted in a special way, just like a movie on the end credits. He controlled the controllables. So that has impacted me more than anything. And I will always look at how can I control the controllables. I can't control how the team plays on the field, but I control every other moment when they walk in, when they leave, the music, the show, the things going on in the crowd, even breakdancing first base coaches, even halftime shows, which we've added in our banana ball games. Like we actually impact the game. We have drones during the game and we do things. We get very close. But I think uh, if you really want to have a great, customer and great fan experience you have to be able to control as much as you can to be able to deliver what you want them to feel you talk about mirror moments in your in your book and, and the importance of that what was your mirror moment and how has it impacted you <laughs> uh, I, i'm constantly having mirror moments and i think that's a question mike i think every day we should have a mirror moment a mirror moment is most times i believe people look at their competitors they look at what everyone else is doing. They look at the problems of everyone else, but they don't look in the mirror and look at themselves and say, put myself in the customer's shoes, the fan's shoes and say, what are those frustrations? What are those friction points of the experience that we can eliminate? Personally, we can control. Mirror moment, the industry, we're in this industry. 
Baseball, to many, long, slow, and boring. Baseball, stadiums, you get nickel and dimed. Baseball stadiums, you get advertised like crazy, all right? Baseball stadiums, you buy tickets, you get ticket fees and convenient fees. Baseball teams, you buy merchandise, you pay shipping fees. When you constantly look in the mirror and say, you know what, I don't care what everyone else is doing. How am I going to make it better for my fan? And so that has impacted every decision. So the first mirror moment sitting in that dugout, kind of like Walt Disney sitting in his bench and watching his daughter on a uh, uh, carousel and said, uh, merry-go-round, he said, you know what? I wish there was a place that kids and adults could have fun. That was, that was his mirror moment because he realized this wasn't that fun for him sitting on a bench mm-hmm. watching his daughter. That wasn't fun for him. As crazy as that sounds. I sat on that bench and realized this isn't fun for me. I'm the best seat in the house and I'm not enjoying this. Where can there be a place where I can have fun as well? So same thing. I go to a sporting event and I pay uh, the ticket fees, the convenient fees. Then I pay $7 for a soda, $6 for a burger. I said, that's not a good experience. So we got eliminated all ticket fees, all convenient fees and made every ticket all inclusive. Same thing when I go to every single sporting event, minor league event, and you go to a game and all of a sudden, here's the throw so-and-so promotion sponsored by this car mm-hmm. dealership. All right, fans, this foul ball is sponsored by this glass company. Shattered glass, you need help. Uh, this is sponsored by this injury lawyer. I don't want to be advertised to when I come to a game. So we did the dumbest thing you could ever do in a sporting team, and we eliminated every single ad from our stadium and threw away hundreds of thousands of dollars. But when your name of your company is Fans First Entertainment, and every decision you make is Fans First, it makes it very, very easy to make those decisions. And so we continue to make them because of the constant mirror moments. And I'm continually having mirror moments every day. And when I watch baseball in innings that go too long, I'm sitting there and go, this inning is too long. How do we end this inning and get to the next? And so we come up with new rules in our minds of what can we do to make the game go faster, faster, faster. Mirror moments. I I believe in them uh, 100%. You're bringing me to uh, the next topic here, which is uh, let's talk some banana ball. Um, if anybody didn't really need a test lab to, to try out all these new concepts, or maybe de- definitely needs a test lab to try these things out, it's, it's you and your mind and your team's mind, right? It's, uh, tell us about what banana ball is. Um, you know, it, it's, it's baseball on steroids or whatever, whatever it is we're, we're talking about here. And the world tour coming, you know, how can our viewers inspire or help push uh, uh you know try to get their city their town their their locality involved in the, the banana ball world tour good question banana ball has been uh now over a three-year test um uh behind closed doors it started back in college stadiums in 2018 no one knew but the players and we just everything starts with a question and it starts with an idea what if and for us uh the game was still too long could we make it faster could we make it more entertaining could we look at every boring part of a game and make it more fun. And so we asked questions. So we came up with, well, could we play a two hour timed game? Could batters never step out of the batter's box? Could every inning count where literally if you win the inning, you get a point. So you don't have a long inning where it's seven, nothing all of a sudden, boom, they're only worth one point. Could you eliminate bunting? Could you have fans catch a foul ball and it be an out? And so we started asking all these questions and we tested them. We played the first ever game at Lander university. No one knew about it. Division two school in South Carolina. And we played nine innings in an hour and 39 minutes. And I remember vividly, the player said that was the most fun they ever had playing baseball. There were actually some of the girlfriends where they were watching without, an, and they were at the edge of their seats. They're like, what are they doing? What is it? <laughs> and they weren't on their phones. They weren't doing homework, which they brought work to do and kind of sit there and say, I'm supporting my boyfriend, but they right. actually watched the game. 
that was a great first test. And then we tested it more during COVID with smaller fan, a smaller amount of fans because of the restrictions. And then we tested it again this year. And the last game we played, the Boston Globe flew down because they had they wanted to cover it. We, you know, we played nine innings in an hour and 48 minutes. So um, as we continue to sharpen and learn and, and plus this experience, we are taking the show in the world all over the country. We did a one city world tour last year in Mobile, Alabama, and somehow 7,000 people bought tickets. Fans came from 17 states. A couple of fans drove over a, drove over a thousand miles. And I'm like, you guys are crazy, but I love it. Um, yep. so now, now we're going to go to uh, more cities. And uh, we, are, we announced with a, a big, like I mentioned, a helicopter. We've had over 4,000 suggestions. So we need the city to be involved. We need uh, the team, the venue. There's a lot of things that need to work. And we need venues really over 4,000 seats. We really need big venues because we're taking the band. We're taking the man and it's, we're taking the breakdancing coaches. We're taking both teams, the band and the party animals. The team will play. We're bringing a hundred plus people. So we need stadiums that can handle us and that we can get lots of people there to, to support it. Um. What you know, I, you hear these things, and 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 some people might be under the misguided, uh, you know, feeling that everything you've done has been a success, right? I mean, it, it's it, everything works perfectly, everything gets, but but you know, obviously that's not the way it, it works for anybody. Um, what was you know, if if there were one something that that you thought was going to be great was you know, it it seemed great, it it you know, and it was a failure. Um, but but the important thing there is, you know, how do you take that and fail forward and, and, and learn from that and, and, you know, help it drive the process and, and not get discouraged by that? Because I see too many people, you know, they fail, they think they're a failure rather than the idea was a failure. I think it's funny when everyone thinks like, oh, you guys are overnight success and everything's going well. I mean, you're talking to a guy that was sleeping on an airbed five years ago. You're talking right. to a guy that had less than $400 in my whole bank account. Like you're talking right. to a guy that was failing miserably because I was doing things like everyone else. But um I get that question. I don't love that question because I think the more we focus on failure, the more it holds us back from success. Mm -hmm. So the more we think about all the things that we failed at, the more it keeps us from trying new things and experimenting. Jeff Bezos said it best. Our success is a direct function of how many experiments we do per year, per month, per week, per day. An experiment by definition can go wrong, can fail. But if we're telling ourselves, oh, we failed on this last year, we failed on that. So you know, you can look at 90% of our promotions on the definition of fail would probably, you know, pass that test as a failure. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, the first time we ever did a halftime show, you know, which again is ridiculous in baseball, but at one hour, it was our St. Patrick's Day game. And I booked the Savannah Pipe and Drum Band and they couldn't get it there in time for rehearsal. So I was rolling the dice. So literally we start a countdown at 7.59 because uh, the halftime's at eight o'clock, 7.59 and 50 seconds, 10, nine, eight. And all the guys are hidden in our locker room, in our dugout. And when I saw the guys, I realized these guys are in their 60s and 70s and maybe in their 80s. Here we go. And so you announce 10, nine, the whole stadium is counting down. And as soon as you hit to one, the players run off the field. There were guys on base, but we told all the players, halftime show, just sprint off the field. So everyone, like, what's going to happen? Is there going to be a huge fireworks show? Like, what's going to happen? We said, fans, it's now time for our halftime show. Please welcome the Savannah Pipe and Drum Band. And I watched as with no speed, no sense of urgency, these, these group of men in their 60s, 70s, and maybe 80s slowly walk out to the field. And our president tells it best. He goes, oh, I heard the halftime show. He ran out from the concessions, and he, he got there to watch it. 
And he said there was nothing happening because one person at a time was walking from the dugout. <laughs> they slowly made their way um, in front of home plate. And instead of facing the crowd, there was 10 of them. They faced each other in this weird semicircle and they just started playing this slow Irish music. And I'm sitting there and the staff will tell you, the players are just turning and looking at me. I'm pacing back and forth. I'm like, this may be the slowest halftime show in the history of sports. And so finally they played and walked off. Our staff was all over me. They were like, Jesse, what was that? I go, you got to start somewhere. And so that was our first halftime show. But I'm even sharing that in my next book, which is coming out in 2022, uh, Fans First. And I'm sharing that because it's easy to look forward and say, hey, you did something amazing. Like, I believe in five years, our halftime shows are going to be epic. I believe mm -hmm. fans will not leave their seat to watch the halftime show. But this is where it starts. You have to get through the messy to get to the great. Everything everything so um every game we do four new promotions we've never done before we do a pre-game a during game promotion we do one thing a new scoring celebration and a new walk-up hitter entrance every single game three out of four of those pretty much fail every time but there's usually one it's pretty good that's right and that's a that's a much better success rate than i think uh, anybody has that they, they hit 25 percent of your ideas but yeah, it's just, we'll, we'll take it we'll take keep, it keep feeding them and keep keep trying them right that's the the mentality and all in the name of fun right Hundred percent. So, so our, our our final inning here. Um, what do you you know? What has been inspiring to you along the way? Is it is it seeing a, a reaction from people? Is it you know knowing that you have an impact on on so many people? What is what inspires Jesse Cole on this on this remarkable, incredible vision? <laughs> the long game. You know, the long game. I posted just this morning, uh, think in quarter centuries, not in quarters. Um, think in generations. You know, I have a three-year-old son, Maverick, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think I want, I want to build something that his grandkids have and that are proud of. And I, I think when you think for the long game, you think in the long term, you make better decisions, which you're proud of. I ask our team every day, you know, what you're doing, are you proud of it? Are you proud of this? And we're never going to be proud of making a quick move to make some more money. We're going to be proud of the impact we make and, and the difference that we make and the legacy that we build. And so what inspires me is, you know, reading about the vision of Walt Disney, reading even about, you can say what you want about Jeff Bezos, but in 1997, he said, this is day one and we're going to create something for the long run. And he always had this long-term mindset. We're always in day one. I love that. So I, I just challenge people to think, uh, you know, I, I wrote in Pioneer Yellow Tux, I wrote the eulogy, my eulogy at 30s, early, early 30s, I wrote, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want your business to be remembered? How do you want your impact to be remembered? How do you want your family to be remembered? And make decisions for the 50 years, the 100 years, not just for this next upcoming year. Jesse Cole, thank you very much for your time today. Um, I know you've inspired others just uh, through this and uh, I know that Bill Beck would be proud somewhere, um, wherever Bill Beck is right now, of, of what you've done. I appreciate it. I'm sure he's he's having a beer and watching a game somewhere, yep. knowing Bill Beck. Yep, yep. I, I appreciate it. Have a, uh, have a great rest of the day. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks a lot.